before he gets going, uh, this will be a brief introduction because we just met this afternoon. Um, but uh, James was on staff with John Parrott down at Pear Orchard. We'll work together and serve together down there uh, for a little while. Great to see you all. Yes, I am pastoring in the Metro DC sprawl. I am not from there originally, as you may already be able to tell. I'm from Edinburgh, Scotland. That is home. Um, I moved from Edinburgh, Scotland to Jackson, Mississippi. Right? You you want to talk about culture shock? That's I. Let's talk. Let's talk about that. Uh, yeah, I have lots lots to share on that. But really glad to be here and really glad to be with you tonight. Just as we get going, um, just turn to your tables and would you answer a couple questions? Share thoughts on a couple questions. First of all, um, why why did you come this week? What was it that motivated you to be here this week? And then secondly, what is it that you're hoping to get out of it? Uh, why, why did you come? And what are you what are you hoping to to get out of this time together this week? So let's spend a couple minutes chatting about that. Um, I encourage honest answers like number one, my boss made me. Number two, I've no idea. Right? Okay, that's fine. Just turn to your turn to your table and share uh, answers to those two questions. into it the whole time. Yeah. Just <laughs> look a total awkward. Yeah. Or we could pin it in my shirt somehow. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Well, won't be at all distracting. <laughs> okay. Six, 60 more seconds, friends. <laughs> Finish that thought. Pull us back together here. Um, some brave people want to share their share their answers with the, with a group. Uh, let's start on that first question. Why, why it is why it is you came this week? Any? Uh, we got a general consensus over here that it's refreshment was a big one for us. Yeah. It's just it's a week to get a you know that community and just be poured into. Great. 
Other things? Michael, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Is <laughs> 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 anyone here by choice other than Michael? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We talked about knowing you're not alone. Yeah. Right? Like, so, yeah, say, say more about that. I, I, know, I know what you mean, but say more. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, Tom Helen, I would say. There's a sense in which what we do oftentimes is very individual to like our specific context and our specific culture and our specific country. Um, yeah, it's nice to know like there's a fellowship of people that are doing the same work that this like Yeah, totally. One more. Yeah. Um, I was actually talking about this like from the way here and I was thinking about like to be reminded of things that I know but like don't operationally live out of. Yeah, you're 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 preaching my sermon. I love it. It's great. Um, okay, what about things we want to get out of this time? Hey, what are the, some of the things you want to leave with? Takeaways you hope to to look back on? interesting that a lot of the answers to the, the questions are similar, right? And a lot of the answers to the second question are actually the first question, right? You come looking for, why did you come? Because you need refreshment. What are you hoping to leave with? Some refreshment, right? Why did you come to be reminded of those things and that you might operate out of those things that are true? What do you hope to leave with? Well, operating out of those things that are true. Like, the two questions are, are definitely connected. Um, all sorts of things happening this week and all sorts of good content will, is coming your way and all sorts of really good practical training. And I love that, you, that, that, that this has been put on by RYM and I love that you're here because ministry is such a worthy call. Jesus is worth giving our lives to in this. And so I want to learn whenever I can like how to how to serve him more faithfully. Right? Not in any way to, to earn his favor. I have that full and secure in, in his grace toward me. But because I, I, I want to, to, to lean into this calling that he's placed on my life and we want to lean into the calling he's placed in our lives and, and do ministry as, as well as we possibly can to his glory. On top of all these practical things, though, all the good trainings and teachings that you're going to hear, um, we're going to do uh, these sermons each night, and, and the flow of it is going to be for the for the next three nights. We're just going to we're going to look at three of the questions that Jesus asks us in the scriptures, with a goal of being of grounding ourselves in His love. So t- tomorrow night we're going to look at the question: Has no one condemned you? Right? We're going to talk about that question, uh, understand its implications for our lives. The next night we're going to look at that really weird question where Jesus says, "Do you do you want to be healed?" Isn't that a weird question? Well, yeah. So why is Jesus asking us that question? We'll, we'll look at that. Third, third night, we'll look at that. Uh, Jesus' great question to, to Peter. Do you love me? Right. And through these three questions, has no one condemned you? Do you want to be healed? Do you love me? We'll hopefully uh, ground ourselves in his love toward us and, and understand more of, of its implications for our lives and how we move into, into ministry. But before getting into those things, I, I want to kick things off tonight with a message that's really drives up my central hope for our time together. Which is namely that we we will leave here being held by the love of God in Christ. That's my prayer for me, and that's my prayer for you, 
as, as we leave from here, that we would leave here being held by the love of God in Christ. The love of God in Christ is the thing that would make our time here worthwhile, and it's the thing that makes ministry possible and compelling and worth giving our lives to. So, that's, that's my prayer, that we'll all come to understand uh, grace and its implications for our lives. So, to the end, let me, let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would be with us in these, in these moments and that you would spare us from going through the motions, going through some kind of empty routine and you would actually come and, and, and meet with us in this time that your, your spirit would be alive and active in us and that we, as we come to your word, would be paying attention to it and listening for your voice and that this would be a, a time where we converse with you and where you bring your love to bear on our lives and help us understand more of its implications for us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, my grandmother um, has dementia. Anyone got dementia in the family? It is a, a cruel and inexorable disease where you lose your mind by inches until it takes you to your death. So a while ago, she started to forget small things. She started to forget, you know, whether she put the laundry on or the person she just met. Now, though, she started to, to forget uh, the bigger things. Um, from a safety perspective, whether she'd left the stove on. But from a relational perspective, family members, including the husband who loved her for 60 years until his death. About a year or so ago, when my grandfather was still alive, my grandmother called my mother and said, there's a strange man in the house and he won't leave. Right? Now my mum knows exactly what's going on. There is a strange man in, in her house, but it's my grandfather. Okay? So she drives over to, to the place and she kind of has this conversation with her where she's just, you know, in these situations, you, you just patiently listen. You just sit with the person. You, you, know, you, you don't try and just like, correct them or rebuke them. You just sit with them and give them assurance. And my mum's saying to my grandmother, no, this is, this, is, you know, this is Kenny. This is your husband. All is well. This man's not going to do you any harm. And well, my grandmother, she's just not having any of it, okay? And eventually, in, in, in the kind of moment of frustration changed when she turned and, and, and looked at him up and down and said, this is my husband? At least he's good looking. <laughs> and I just thought, I love it. They're in their 80s and that spark is, that spark is still, still alive. But isn't it amazing how 60 years of love just faded from her view? She forgot who he was she forgot how much he loved her I can't help but feel that this is a, a powerful picture of how God must feel when, when he looks at me and when he looks at you because there is a real sense in which we all have spiritual dementia when it comes to the love of God like how quick we are to forget who he is how quick we are to forget just how much he loves us so on the one hand, you, like me tonight, perhaps, um, ha- have the love of God, right? You, be- you believe in the gospel and you believe in Jesus and you believe that your life has been an absolute train wreck and that Jesus has entered it and he's making all things new, that your sins are forgiven, that you're secure in him. You, you have the love of God, but in some sense, like, um, the love of God doesn't 
hold you. Right? You have it, but it doesn't quite have you. You're not you're not held by it. You're not operating out of this this place. To use the language that was used earlier. Um, when I was thinking about this, I thought of uh, my wife Rosie. Right. So Rosie and I, uh, high school sweethearts. Uh, we got married when we were 18 and 19 years young. We got married. The, the motivation for the marriage was a child was on the way. Right. So we got married in June and had a baby in August. Right. So we were children with a child. Um, you're all in student ministry. Like, they shouldn't let 18-year-olds have children, right? It's just terrible. It's just an unbelievable thing that this happened, but the Lord was gracious and kind to us. But anyway, in those early days of being, being married, right, um, we're just like, we're, we're students, we have a kid, we've got zero money, and we never bought orange juice because orange juice is expensive. Right? Familiar? Well, fast forward, like, 20 years, and we're in ministry, and... We're balling, right? That's why you go into ministry, right? Well, no, obviously not. That's not why we go into ministry. I haven't gone into ministry to be, to be rich, but we're also, you know, while we're not balling, we're not as poor as we used to be, right? And yet Rosie still doesn't buy orange juice, right? Why? Because orange juice is expensive. And I think to myself, how expensive is orange juice these days? You're, you're, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, like we're, you know, we, we have a home, we have a couple cars, we're raising our kids, we got like, enough finances, we can, you know, have some, you know, we're not like, we're not dirt poor anymore. Like, what, what is going on that we can't afford orange juice? Well, the issue, of, of course we can afford orange juice. Um, Rosie has the resources, but the resources don't really have her. That makes sense? She has the money, but she has poverty mindset. Uh, this is what I mean when I say, like, we have the love of God, but the love of God doesn't really have us. The beautiful truth of the gospel is, it doesn't, you, you know God's love for you isn't changed by how much you feel it. <laughs> it's not contingent upon you feeling the love. Um, God's love has is been set upon us um, from before the foundation of the earth. We're loved. We're secure. But, in that sense, the love of God doesn't always have us. And I just wonder, um, where are you as we head into this week? Um, yeah, you know, you have the love of God, but is, are you being held by it? Or are you just like tired ministry? It's just exhausting, right? And it wears you down. And it's exhausting when things go well because you get wrapped up in the identity of success. And it's exhausting when things go terribly because you get discouraged and it's full of the idolatry of reputation and, and achievement. And like working in student ministry is like, oh man. You deal with students, but you have to deal with parents too. Nightmare, right? Um, of course, not a nightmare. We're partnering with them for the Christian welfare of their children. They're a nightmare, right? Ministry is tiring. It wears us down. We get feel beaten up. Um, we fall into our own personal struggles. Fall into our own doubts. When we fall into our own doubts, we don't really know who to talk to about them. Um, ministry is a, a challenging place to be. And maybe you arrive tonight... Yeah, knowing God loves you, but not really being held by the love of God. What do we do about it? Finally, to our text, Ephesians chapter 3. I invite you to pull out your Bible, open up your phone, find your way, one way or another, to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 14 through 21 of this text. It's one of the most like staggeringly beautiful passages in all of Scripture. I love it. And it's a, it's a prayer where Paul prays that we wouldn't have spiritual dementia. He doesn't pray that God would love us. God already does. He prays that we would know it, feel it, be held by it, that the love of God would have us. So let's pay attention to this prayer. Ephesians 3 verse 14. 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, Paul, uh, before he starts praying in this text, reminds us of who it is that he's praying to. So the prayer has like a preface, if you like, where Paul reminds us who it is he's praying to, and he highlights three things about God. First, look at verse 14. He highlights that he's praying to a a powerful God, because Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. It is right and good to engage our bodies in worship. Presbyterians, it is right and good to engage our bodies in worship. Read the Psalms. Full of clapping, full of shouting, full of standing, um, or sitting or kneeling, the the, the postures are dependent upon the things that that are happening in that moment. It's, It's good and right for us. And here what Paul does is kneel before God as as an expression of awe. He's reminding himself as he begins this prayer that he's praying to one who is powerful. You are God, I am not, so I I, I bow before you. You are infinite, I am finite, so I'm going to take a knee before you. You're the creator, I'm the creation, so I'm going to take a knee before you. What else would we do but kneel in the presence of one as powerful as God? But secondly, not only is God powerful, look, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. He's praying to a powerful Father. Verse 15, from whom every family on heaven and earth is named. One pastor says about this verse, um, they did a paternity test on everyone who ever lived. Guess what? God's the Father. God is the Father. He is the head of every family. He is the chief of every clan, every people, tribe, nation on earth. All belong to him. He's powerful. He's Father. But third, he's also generous. Look at verse 16. Paul says God will answer his prayer. How? According to the riches of his glory. Isn't that good? He begins his prayer saying, hey, you're not just powerful, but you're my, you're my Father. And you're my Father who's generous. So you have all the resources, not just of the cosmos, but of the heavens themselves at your disposal. And because you're my Father, I know that you're pleased to use your power to, to marshal these resources for my good. That you are, you are the king, you are in control, and you are working all things together for the welfare of your children. So, in this context, praying to a, a powerful father who is generous with his riches, Paul begins to pray. And here's, here's his prayer. Look at it. 
the prayer itself is a prayer that we wouldn't have spiritual dementia, that all that we have would have us. And it follows a very careful structure. There are three uh, sections to this prayer, each of which build on, on the last one. It's like three stair steps, if you will. So let's, let's climb these steps together. Step one, verse 16, he prays that God would grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Just pause. Remember, God's Word, right? Um, coming to us tonight. The prayer being for us tonight that we tonight would what? Be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Like, don't you like the sound of that? Doesn't that sound awesome? Wouldn't it be like, hey, what do you hope to leave here with? I hope to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in my inner being. I hope to have, like, a steel in my spine and an iron in my gut that is all of His grace toward me that I might be fortified and braced and invigorated to tackle anything that this week is going to throw at me. What an awesome thing to pray for. Who doesn't need that for a life of ministry? But look, that, that isn't the point of Paul's prayer. That's not the main thing he's praying for. It's just step one, which takes us to step two. He wants us to be strengthened so that, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, you catch it there? Be strengthened, that you might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that good? Step one, be strengthened. In order that, step two, you might have the strength to know the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ. Um, I just... I love Christianity. I love the gospel. I love that the point of our faith is not to show God that we love Him, but to receive that He loves us. It's what makes our faith completely unique to the world's religions. That the goal of our lives is not to prove how much we love, but to accept how much we are loved. That the covenant God has entered into relationship with us of his own initiative to draw us near. And so look at verse 17. He wants us to be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted like a tree. Once to find our, uh, we find our, our life, our, the wellspring of our very life is in his love. Or look at verse uh, 17 still, sorry. He wants us to be grounded in his love. Grounded like a foundation. His love is the thing that we find stability in. Or verse 18. He wants us to know the breadth and length and height and depth of his love for you. You know, like God wants you to know that he loves you. And like how broad? How broad is the love of God? Like broad enough to cover every single sin, mistake, shame and regret that you have ever committed and ever will commit in the rest of your life or what's the length, how long is the love of God, we believe a love, good biblical reform theology, the love of God began for us in eternity past when he set up upon us and continues until eternity future uh, you can't put a clock on the love of God for you he has always loved you and he will always love you. How high is the love of God? Um, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my steadfast love toward you. How deep is the love of God? One preacher says, um, not just to the depths of the sea, but 
even on the cross to the depths of hell where he went to get you. That's how deep the love of God, the love of God is. And Paul is praying, hey, see the dimensions of God's love, the size of God's love for, for you? Like, I want you to know that. I want you to be sure of that. I want you to have a vision for the love of God that is so biblical that it's great and grand and glorious and, and you don't get confused that when you've done something wrong he somehow loves you less. Right? He wants us to understand his great love for us. But even that's just step two. And I didn't realize this. See, until I dived into this passage, like I'm sort of familiar... <laughs> You know when you're in ministry, right, one of the things that's funny about being in ministry is everyone thinks you know everything about the Bible, right? So they ask you questions and you're like, I don't know, right? Um, So I definitely am aware of that reality. But this is one of those passages that I was kind of generally familiar with, okay, which I'm not with all of the Bible. I kind of was generally familiar with that. And if you asked me about it, I'd said, oh yeah, this is the prayer where Paul prays that, that, that we would know that God loves us, right? Well, yeah, but that's not actually the main, the main point. Look, Step one is be strengthened. Step two is we'd have strength. Uh, we'd be strengthened so that we'd know God loves you. In order that step three, look at verse 19. The end of verse 19. In order that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay. Have strength so that you'll know the love of Christ. So that you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. The conclusion Paul is driving to is that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God. The end he has in mind for us is that we would be filled with all the fullness in God. The thing he's actually praying for, the thing he wants to take for us to take away, is that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now when I hear that, I think, that sounds awesome. But like, what does that mean? <laughs> right? What? You know, f- filled with the fullness of God, sign me up. Right? It's one of those things I'm signing myself up, but I don't really know what I'm signing myself up for. Right? What, what, what does it mean here? Well, it helps for us to see how Paul uses this phrase, the fullness of God, in some of his other letters. And interestingly, this phrase for Paul is a reference to, to Jesus. When Paul uses the phrase, the fullness of God, he uses it to refer to Jesus. So, Colossians 1, verse 19. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians 2, verse 9. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In other words, when Paul prays that you and I would be filled with all the fullness of God, he is praying that we would be filled with Jesus. And that we wouldn't just have Jesus, but that Jesus would have us. Right? Now we're drifting beautifully close to the limits of vocabulary as we try to describe what it means to be in union with Christ. For Christ to be in us. Um... The Bible will give us images for it. It'll talk about who he is in us and how we abide in him and he in us. Um, Talking about the fullness of Christ in us, our union with him, is designed to drive us toward an understanding that our relationship with Christ is the most intimate relationship imaginable. It's two becoming one at the level of 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 our souls. That we are in him, that he is in us. Here's the point. 
filled with all his fullness, we find that we don't just have the love of God, but the love of God has us. We don't just have Jesus in our lives, you know. Um, But he really has us. Let me tell you a story of someone who got this, right? Um, Pastor Fran told me about this church, which, um, church in the south, which, by the description of their sanctuary, sounds not all that unlike our own sanctuary in the kind of, like, traditional Presbyterian, like, white pews, brass chandeliers, red carpet. You can kind of, like, picture it in your mind, yeah? Well, it's this church faithfully loving that community, and one day, um, this alcoholic guy stum- stumbles into their, their morning services. And uh, like he's reeking of drink, and a few people come alongside him. And they're a good church. They're not, they're not there to try and like, kick him out. They're there to f- kind of figure out what's going on with him. And they're trying to, trying to love him. And they find out not only is he an alcoholic, but he's homeless. right? And so he's struggling with the kind of intersection of various issues that included his own mental health. And it's just a very difficult, challenging picture. Well, this church loves him, and, and, and he comes back. And they find out his name is Dave. Right? Um, the kids... <laughs> Uh, call him Pirate Dave because of his like disheveled appearance. Okay, <laughs> but this church they love Pirate Dave, so they love love him Pirate Dave, and they start like trying to find ways for him to be involved in the life of the church. And so they g- they gave him the job of handing out like you know the worship guides, okay, handing out the bulletins on a Sunday morning. And then kid you not, like one morning he like dropped all the bulletins, which would be fine, but like he dropped a pile of f bombs along with it, right? And they kind of thought we need to let him volunteer somewhere you know not as close to the children, right? Um, and so, you know, Dave comes to this church, they're wrestling through all these issues, and, and here's the awesome thing. Um, after a couple of months, Dave becomes a Christian. Like, Jesus saves his soul. Because, you know, that's what Jesus does. Like, he takes messy, broken train wrecks, and he saves us. Right? And it's great. There's much joy, much celebration in this, in this church. Well, fast forward a few more months. Of course, it's great. Dave's a Christian. That doesn't mean he doesn't struggle with alcoholism. It doesn't mean he's still wrestling with his housing. He's still wrestling with mental health. Life is still complicated and challenging and difficult. And so a few months later, this church is still still loving him. And comes to one Sunday morning where the, they do communion, right? Now, you know, I don't know about, about your church, but in most churches, communion, communion is kind of like the, like, a very kind of holy ground moment, you know, and so the pastor's up the front, and uh, he's doing the words of institution, you know, on the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and as he says that, he sees Pirate Dave get up from the back, and like march down the middle aisle and sit on the very front row, okay, um, the pastor, and it's so great, like, um, See, because, like, they don't teach us what to do in seminary and we're super awkward. He does the only thing he knows how to do, which is, like, carry on as if nothing has happened. Okay? So he just, like, carries on, like, largely broke bread, <laughs> give it to his disciples. And as he's finishing up the words in the bread, um, Pirate Dave, like, at the shoulders, he starts to cry. Okay? And a couple of deacons come around him and they kind of, like, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? And uh, the pastor kind of gives him a look and just, like, plows on, right? Picks up the cup, right? In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and gave it to his disciples, right? And in the middle of the cup, Pirate Dave starts to do, like, the the full-blown, like, wailing out loud cry, you know? Not like Hollywood tear cry, like the nose cry, you know? Like, that's what Pirate Dave is doing in the middle of the church. And it's come to the point where even the pastor, like, can't, 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 can't ignore it. And so he kind of looks at him awkwardly and he says, like, are you, are you okay? And in the middle of this Southern Presbyterian Church, Pirate Dave stands up and says, Pastor, I'm sorry. 
the gospel's just really kicking my ass. <laughs> and they did this. <laughs> the congregation stood and applauded. Right? Suddenly everything Dave had had him. And it changed him. Suddenly that congregation, everything they had, had them. And it began to change them. And that's that's what we're hoping for in our in, in our time this week. That everything we have in Jesus would really have us. That the love of God would not be a thing that we just understand cerebrally, but the thing that's actually controlling us. That we would understand, do you understand that Jesus isn't content to say, hey, I want you to have strength so that you'll know that I love you, and I just like, run over there and do some stuff for me. He's saying, no, no, I'm now in you. We're doing this together. I've set my love upon you that you might know that I love you, that you might actually be filled with me. That everything you have might really have you. That's what I'm hoping for this week. My grandmother um, forgot the love of her husband. You know her husband never forgot his love for her. Painfully beautiful, like poignant, like... You know, you know when things are so beautiful they make you cry? You know that, that kind of thing? Seeing how my granddad loved her when she didn't remember him. That was... That was beautiful. And though we have spiritual dementia and we forget how much God loves us, He doesn't forget His love for us. And so we can leave here with that deeper, richer experience of His love toward us. Because that's His will for us in our passage tonight. So let me close in prayer and let me pray this passage for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do bow our knees before you. You are the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And we pray that according to the riches of your glory, your, your, your immense generosity, that you would grant us to be strengthened with power in our spirits through the power of your Holy Spirit. That we would have the strength to be rooted and grounded in your love and to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of it and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that we ourselves might be filled with all the fullness of God. Father, does all this sound like too much? Does this sound like, I don't know, uh, wishful thinking? Does this sound like kind of grandiose statements that's never actually going to make a difference to -to day-to-day life? Sometimes we feel that way and Paul felt that way too, which is why he closes his prayer saying, Lord, you're able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. So according to the power at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, now and forever. Amen.